Was that spooky noises? I'm scared. You should be scared. It's October. Spooky time. Everyone, welcome to fall and October, a.k.a. the dawn of spooky season. It was like 90 degrees here. It's not fall yet. Oh, it's been beautiful where I am. It's, we had lovely fall walks and the leaves are changing. We're a lot cooler than 90 degrees here. Yeah, it's hot. Um, but I have been enjoying my, my spooky month so far. I've been watching a horror movie every day. Nice. So you've watched nine, seven movies? Um, I think I went... I think I, I think I'm up to eight because I had a double feature on Sunday and I think one other day. Okay, okay. Because it was rainy here all day Sunday, so I figured might as well. There's two been two double features. Well, I love spooky season. I love horror and all things scary. And Don, I take it that you are the same. Absolutely. So I thought that it would be good. I know in the past episodes around kind of the spooky ghost mons, and I thought we could keep that going with uh, starting October off strong with getting some spookiness out there. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, so to start us off in science news, we have a Nobel Prize announcement. The Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded to two scientists. Notably, it's the first time that the award has been given to two women. Doctors, I apologize, this is probably not the right way to pronounce their names, and I'm going to do my hardest to do it right, but it's doctors uh, Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer A. Doudna. You did probably better than I would have done. I I hope I did it right, and I apologize if it was wrong. But they've been doing some really cool work with CRISPR-Cas9. Don, are you familiar at all with the idea of CRISPR? A little bit. Seen some updates here and there, and I know it has to do with like gene editing and stuff along yeah. that lines. Yeah, exactly. I believe it was also featured in the uh, quality film Rampage, um, with a giant, well, a giant gorilla fights a giant crocodile. So it's uh. It's very accurate. I'm sure it's what CRISPR does. I actually know someone uh, who works in CRISPR, and after I saw Rampage, I, I basically sent him what the opening to that movie is, and he was just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really interesting field of science, but basically, you're right, it, it deals in genomic editing, and it started with combating diseases. Uh, so basically... Cas9 basically splices out aspects of DNA and it could go in and it would see a viral cell and it would snip it and clip it. Right. Basically, once they figured out how to do that, they were like, I wonder if we can do this with other genes. And it has exploded into all sorts of other fields, whether it's dealing with genetic based issues like sickle cell anemia, dealing in agriculture with cutting down the amount of lifespans it takes to get the proper quality that you want in the plant. So if you're trying to make something more drought tolerant before that would take like decades and decades of breeding to make the plant more drought tolerant. And this would basic would expedite the process exponentially. I see how that would be very, very useful. Yes. So it has a lot of really cool aspects. It also raises a lot of ethical questions that are way above my pay grade, but there are people who are talking about the ethical issues while also talking about how this this system can advance society, and I think it's a really cool field of study. I'm really, I, I'm always fascinated by stuff like that. I get to be adjacent to it at work, which is cool. Maybe not really on the level of CRISPR, but some interesting stuff. But yeah, I really am looking forward to see what CRISPR brings to the table moving forward. Also, everyone, should, also Gattaca, great movie. Not that those two scientists listen to our podcast, but if they are, congratulations on the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. And you're listening to our podcast, so you got great taste. There we go. All right, Don, you want to take us into Pokemon news? All right, so we have some Pokemon news. Uh, Crown Tundra, it's happening. It's coming up. It is officially 
a thing. Yep, October 22nd, I believe, is the launch date for it. We're roughly two weeks out? 15 days. That's the number. Yeah, so we have a bunch of everyone's favorites coming back. And we have six new mons. We have six new mons. We have the Reggie, Reggie Dragon. Reggie Electric. We have the birds. Who I'm. I'm sorry, Moltres. I'm sorry. He got shafted. Oh, hard. Zapdos is now a sand counter, which is interesting. And he's he's fighting flying, right? Correct with Defiant. And Articuno is psychic flying with competitive, which is going to be awesome since everyone's favorite flying tiger, Lando T, will be back to wreak his havoc upon us all. See, I'm a little frustrated because Articuno has always been one of my favorites and I love the design. Like I love the designs for all of them, but there's just something in my brain that's mad that they took the initial typing out. Like it's like, it's not ice psychic. It's not electric fighting. It's not dark fire. They still kept the flying and I wish they, yeah, they kept the bird, but not the elemental part, which I kind of thought of them more as in being a bird. And then Moltres is flying dark. So on paper, they all got, Better typings, I guess. Well, not really. Electric flying is godly. Fighting flying is also godly. I don't know how dark and flying is going to be any different than Honchkrow. Bigger stats. Yeah, I guess. And with max moves, I mean, they all have great max moves. Articuno can't use benefit from its own psychic terrain, which is a little bit of a bummer. Oh, that's stupid. Yeah, but I think they're still going to have... I think all three are going to be really interesting, especially with Lando T, like I said, being back. Even though Moltres, less so, because it's got Berserk. We didn't even talk about the abomination that is slow king Ooh, a spooky slow king i like yeah. it. even though his ability i thought was better we don't have to go too much into it because i know lucas wants to do a, a crown tundra episode once it actually releases so we can dive really into it but you also forgot to mention the new mythical that's coming zarud not to be confused with the popular sandstorm musician darud darud I, I have to say Darud. I don't know how to say it. Darud, if you're listening, I'm sorry. We're just apologizing to scientists and Darud all over. I'm sorry to everyone. I think he's a cool design. I mean, mythicals are always kind of eh to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of disappointed. I've liked the last few mythicals, to be honest, but he's got sort of a vaguely Incineroar, Infernape, but a grass type. Like if you smash those two together and made him a grass type and then gave it weird Spider-Man vines in its wrists. Also, Leaf Guard is a lame ability. I'll say it. Yeah, it's like if you took Incineroar and made him lame. It's, I don't know, I'm not personally a fan. If you like him, I'm sorry, listeners that actually like him, but not, he's not for me. Also, since I'm taking too long in Pokemon news, we have the Players' Cup, first round over. Chris, did you end up playing it? I, I did play in it, and I feel like I did, I wish I knew the the rules before I went into it, because I played all 45 games. I should have made that clear, that was, I failed you on that, I should have when I was helping you with it i because i only played i played 21 games i believe mm. yeah what was your record i went 18 and 3 i i stopped when i was feeling good with myself I, it's like 1690 maybe 1691 um, i was really happy with that yeah i did my 45 matches and i ended up i think i was like 27 and 18 and i ended with a rating of like 1633 so i know i'm like right on the cutoff from like last year's players cup qualifiers yeah and it's it's frustrating because i was ahead of it and i just kept playing well i made the mistake at one point where i i was going to be done i was at 16 like 88 and then i made the fatal mistake going, i'm going to play one more game or is that like 1670 i went i'm going to play one more game and then I'll stop. And then I immediately proceeded to lose 
once on a, a bounce miss in a 1v1 Cinder Ace V Rillaboom. Oh. And then I proceeded to get bodied by a very interesting Galar Slowbro team. So then I had to play a few more games. Get it back up. But overall, again, this is my, including the first Players Cup that I did when I jumped in and got spanked and immediately left. This is my third competitive tournament. I think you're. I, I think you've got a good chance to slip in. I, from what I understand, there were less people in this one, and some of the people ranked above you are like Japanese and Korean players, which I don't think are counted towards our own qualifying for the next yeah. round. And you got to experience our Lord and Savior Driftblim. I love me some Driftblim. He's on my Great League and and Pokemon Go. He's all over the place for me. I don't know anything about Pokemon Go PvP, but I'm happy that he's on there. You are my guru for VGC. I can be your Pokemon Go guru. All right. We'll talk shop after that. You want to get on with the uh, spooky episode? Yes. Let's get into the spookies. Okay. So getting into the, the scary aspects of this episode, I thought it would be interesting if we kind of talked about the aspects of Horror Dawn and what these monsters that we put in our pop culture what they can represent why we do it so both you and me lovers of horror i wanted to ask right off the bat why do you like being scared or why do you think people like being scared very few movies really get like that physical reaction from you i mean if it's one of it's just a really good movie regardless of genre it can or if it's very sad but horror seems to be more consistently even if it's just kind of sort of cheapy jump scare kind of horror it, it's a movie genre that I think forces you to your as long as you're watching it, you're engaging with it. Even if the movie's not the best one, the fact that you're like on edge, you're nervous, you're like feeling you're feeling something during the movie other than just sitting there watching a movie or like feeling something other than the usual general excitement or like sadness depending on the genre. It's like that fight or flight, that adrenaline rush, all that good stuff. I should also specify we're mostly going to be talking about movies, but obviously horror is so much more than just horror movies. We're going to have a narrow focus when we touch on examples but there is so much more to horror than just what we are talking about so if you like it and you're not exploring other things you should because it's a very very deep genre all across the board i'll have to on the uh on the patreon i'll post my or maybe i'll tweet i'm not sure where i'll do it but i'll i'm currently i think i said it earlier doing the 31 for 31 with horror movies yeah i'll put my list up um as a fun thing if people want to join the party don spooky month but no i agree because i think we engage with stories to feel something and horror is really compelling at triggering an emotional response mostly a fight or flight response because it you know you get your endorphins going you get your adrenaline going it hits that rush feeling that you're talking about and the most important thing is that it lets us experience these things in a safe environment we don't have to like get into a fight to get that adrenaline rush you know you can just sit in a dark theater with your friends and be like, ah, and then you're okay. Or you can fight people in the dark theater with your friends, and then you get the double whammy. Double whammy. I haven't done that. I don't think I'll ever do that. I've... That's the Florida Man movie special right there. <laughs> We're going to talk about some Florida stuff later on. Just wait. <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to touch on, which is something that, again, I went to, I went through film school, and it's one of the things that I looked at when, when I was going there, but it's the idea of monster theory. And Don, are you familiar with Monster Theory? A bit. I took a, not nearly as extensive as yours, I took a horror film class in college that I was unprepared for. It was a way more strenuous class than I, in my mind I thought it would be. 
which was the real horror of the class, actually. But lots of entertainment for the other students. Oh, yeah, I was like the class mascot. Well, every every film class needs that. But a gross generalization of it is the idea that we attach a face to our fears, essentially a monster. Like, we, we corporealize them in aspects to be able to face them. And monster theory is looking at it is trying to find cultural aspects, basically trying to find the cultural anxieties of times based on the monsters present in pop culture. There was a a paper, I think it was maybe 2005, written by Dr. Jeffrey Cohen called Monster Theory. It's a collection of essays talking about interpreting cultures based on the monsters and oh, I, remember, I, think, I remember reading that in class actually it's it's a very interesting topic it's a very good read but one of the examples that i like to to point to is the time of the cold war and film so you're thinking like 1940s 50s i remember going over that in the in class and so if you look at the the a lot of the really popular horror films that were in the time is you have invasion of the body snatchers Rosemary's Baby, The Thing. Favorite favorite horror movie right there, I will say. Ooh, we have a lot to talk about The Thing. Oh man, I love it so much. And then one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes, The Monsters Are Due on Mulberry Street. It's been so long since I've seen that one. I feel like everyone watched that in like seventh grade. Yeah. But the basic idea of all of these is that you don't know who your neighbor is. It's that there is some outside entity that has infiltrated your society and it's eroding trust in your community. And it is, you can't trust your neighbors. You can't trust your family. You don't know who they are. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, literally something else, is taking over the body of your loved ones. And all of this plays into that sort of fear of the spread of communism from the Cold War. And you don't know if your neighbor was a, a communist. And, it, you know, you can kind of see that reflection. And th- this goes through lots of different time periods and lots of different monsters and i think it's a pretty interesting way to kind of look at society based on fears i agree and um we were talking about it a little bit earlier but there's a have you heard of the political correlation with vampire and zombie movies only through the conversation we had earlier so for the listeners it's a cool little phenomenon that goes all the way back to i think eisenhower and it's basically the popularity of zombie or vampires as a monster alternates with the current like political spectrum within the white house so if a conservative is in the white house zombies become more popular because the people who did not win the election see the worst case end game as just like mindless consumerism homogenous and just everyone's the same mass consuming which is what zombies do and then if you look at like the traditional sort of fears of like extreme left-wing stuff you have vampires who are like sexual deviants. They're often foreign and they're, um, they hate Christianity, you know, crosses repel them and all that. So they sort of foil the opposite side. So when a Democrat is in the white house, typically vampires movies are more popular and then vice versa with zombies and Republicans. And, and also if we were to like, look at this on a more cultural level, this isn't necessarily to say that like, it's just like, Oh, you know, there's, you know, a Republican in the White House, it's time to like turn up the zombie movies. But what Monster Theory might be looking at is it's more of a that's the prevailing discussions that are happening at the time. Because exactly. Of... And that's reflected in the movies that do well. And you touched on vampires a little bit. One of the other aspects that I find interesting about vampires is especially when they became popular in the 18th century in America. It's interesting because vampires, as an example, 
I think show that a monster can take many forms because vampires have been around for centuries and not, and not just vampires, but the idea of that sort of like life essence sucking creature, like those span cultures, empires, continents. My favorite one, I blank on the name. I think it's a Germanic one. That's um, it has no bones. So it's just got to like convince you. It's just kind of flops around and like you, it, it's, to convert you to be itself, it has to trick you in like the eating the dirt of its grave, which I mean that seems like a hard sell. So you know what? I, I respect that critter. I don't remember the name of it. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it real quick though. But so getting back to the the 18th century bit, that was when America was having a really tough bout with tuberculosis, or as it was known at the time, consumption, um, when people were literally wasting away. And part of that is that they thought uh, one of the thinkings was supernaturally with dead family members coming overnight to drain them of their vitality. So there were people who were burning bodies of dead relatives or removing the relatives' hearts after death or staking them because the idea of the vampire was very was popular in this time because of it was its attribution to consumption, tuberculosis. I like that. I've I've heard similar things about that before and it really does sort of line up with the classic all the vampire vampire myths. And um, other one I wanted to touch on was we, when, like, one time you see the conversion to sort of the modern vampire. Because back in the day, like I said, with consumption of that, pre, pre-Dracula, vampires were typically sort of like walking corpses. They were gross. Like, think Nosferatu. It's not a sharp, sharp dress and fellow. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's gross. But Dracula was written at the time when, like, it was he was very much against the Victorian standards of the time. He was, you know, well-dressed. Again, he was... He was a foreign guy that came over to like convert people to his way, and he was all about like the uh, you know he was corrupting the women and all the stuff that was very much against Victorian values, and that was the first time a vampire was seen as like more like a suave kind of guy versus a creepy blood sucking night person. But no, it's it's a very it's a very interesting way of looking at it, and so I love you know thinking about what these ideas represent what are what's trying to be said how can it you know it's you know it's not necessarily a hard and fast science but it's an interesting interpretation of where we are because at the end of the day as a society we are our stories and so you know looking at the issues that we face in them not just in horror but overall but i think is an interesting way to kind of look in at ourselves uh i think that's about a lot of the background we want to do i think we're kind of just going to go straight into the the Pokemon right now, unless you had anything you wanted to add, Don. Oh, uh, no, no, that's, I'm, I'm pretty good on it, I think. Real quick, what's your favorite monster? Favorite, like, traditional sort of monster, or? Yeah. Oh, okay, let me think, I, I gotta pause for a second. So I do enjoy, from a, like, a classical monster standpoint, I do enjoy a good werewolf. Um, I also am a fan of, uh, of Sasquatches and other sort of. So you, you like the hairy stuff. That sounds inappropriate. Well, not actually. So I actually either lead, lead either towards like werewolves or I lean very much towards like the sort of uh, like the imitation sort of monsters, like the thing and mm-hmm. things along that line. Doppelgangery, spooky replicant yeah. kind of stuff. Also, yeah. I think one of my favorite sort of genre, subgenres of horror. Yeah. I myself am partial to zombies. Oh, it's t- it is tough to beat a good zombie. I, I just I like the idea that there's nothing you can, like but to me the thing that is the most chilling is when they're not trying like like if you think of michael myers he's not running after people he's not chasing people he's casually it's walking. the like inevitability of it 
Yes. And and that's that's zombies to me, is that there's they're just this overwhelming horde. Granted, we've had this spike of like sprinter zombies in the twenty first century. Not not as much of a fan, because it kind of like the other zombies you kind of give yourself you can kind of put yourself in the mindset of all right what would i do you know i can figure this out i can make it and then sprinter zombies are like oh i think i just die well it's it's kind of shifting the idea so like because zombies are this kind they're like they're the inevitable horde the all-consuming group that just no matter what you do no matter how hard you fight they will consume you literally like literally they're zombies but that you kind of lose that when you get into the sprinter ones, because there's just such this like ferociousness to them. But I mean, I still love 28 days later, 28 days later. Also that one, I, I give it a pass. Cause they, it's like more like they're rabid people. The ones, cause also the one thing with me, so your classic zombie, you know, they're dead. They're walking around. They're trying to bite you. They're trying to eat you. But the, and you kind of believe that they're undead. Cause they're, you know, it's their corpse, probably a little rigor mortis. They're kind of staggering around. It's hard to believe a guy's dead and, you know, not healing, doesn't need to eat or breathe or do anything else. But he's also, you know, Usain Bolt sprinting around, jumping over stuff. It just like that's why I, I gave 28 Days Later a pass because they're like they're like, all right, it's people. But yeah, some of the ones I, I hated what they did to World War Z so much. I will always be against the movie. Great book. Do you know who the only zombie Pokemon is? Who the only Parasect? Yep. Parasect is I, like it, it might as well be called the zombie Pokemon because it basically says the mushroom has drained all the vitality from Paris. Oh yeah, I know the mushroom. Uh, now I'm blanking on the name of the specific mushroom that does it. Cordyceps. Yeah. So there you go. There's your there's your zombie Pokemon. It's in the game. It's in the lore. Now we just need some fanfic of the Parasect zombie invasion. But since we have kind of started delving into the 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 Pokemon, let's get into the games. Yes. Okay, so getting into the Pokemon, we are starting out with one of my favorite new additions to the game. Honestly, mine too. He's so cool. It's we're talking about Delmise. Don, what do you well real quick, what do you like about Delmise? Um, I like the fact that he's like I mean, I'm, 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 I like to consider myself a nautical person and I like that we got a spooky ocean ghost critter. Um, and I like the fact that it's it's not the spooky ocean bits. It's like evil kelp that possessed a sunken ship. And that, that just seems fun to me. It was like the, the evil kelp was just like stumbled on a sunken ship and found the, the ship's wheel and the anchor and was like, I can make this work. Yeah. And then I like how it's I like its ability. I like the fact that it gets a trip like triple stab as a like a usable Pokemon. The design is cool. I'm just a fan. Anchor throw is it's anchor throw right? Anchor shot. Anchor shot. Anchor shot is such a cool animation. Oh, it's awesome, and it traps you, which like it's like anchoring you to the battlefield. I feel when it, when in the animation when it like tightens on the thing, I I have this like oh. Doesn't it like? Isn't there an anime where he's in and he's like super intense? I am not too familiar with the anime, so I don't know, but I can see that. I mean, he's a he's a ghost ship. Yeah. Which gets into what we're going to talk about with ghost ships. I'm the Flying Dutchman. I can't not think this much problem. Actually, I'm pretty sure every single mon that we talk about and like the kind of spookiness behind it, I'm pretty sure is represented on an episode of SpongeBob. I would not even question that. That's the common thread. But we we right now we are talking Delmise and ghost ships. So ghost ships 
can be both literal and supernatural. The kind of literal one is there are ships that through either an accident or... The Mary Celeste. Shout out. That's like your classic ghost ship. Oh, yeah. Yep, there we go. Do you want to tell about the Mary Celeste? Yeah, so real quick, Mary Celeste was a ship that was found floating ghostily about. Um, no crew were visible on it, but the ship seemed to be in good repair. There was a few mysterious things. I think, like, the lifeboats were gone, but there was no reason why the ship had been abandoned. Like, everything was in ship shape order. I think, like, someone's sword was laying on the ground they thought was covered in blood. They decided later it was rust. Um, so, and then, like, it was just, and to this day, I don't think any, any any members of the Mary Celeste crew were ever found. So that adds another level on the, the spookiness. But if we're getting into the, the spooky side of ghost ships, the kind of supernatural one, the one that kind of pops up, you've already name-dropped, is the Flying Dutchman. Yes, that's the classic. Yes, and the basic story behind the Flying Dutchman is it was a ship that was unable to dock and ended up sinking, crashing, and as such has been sentenced to sail the seas for all of eternity. I mean, obviously the most recent representation is... Pirates of the Caribbean with Davy Jones. But the Flying Dutchman for sailors was seen as a sign of impending doom. It was a bad omen to see it. My personal favorite ghost ship movie would be John Carpenter's The Fog. Ooh, not to be confused with The Mist. The animation doesn't hold up, but I still stand by the movie. It is, I I, I mean, to me, The Fog, it's not perfect, but it is, you know, classic, classic John Carpenter to me. Oh, John Carpenter just crushes it too is the thing. We can't talk about Delmise with also not touching on Moby Dick, though. I love the book, and I went to reread it, and they talk way more about old-timey boats than I remember them talking about the first time I read it. But that's the gripe I've heard, is they spend, like, pages and pages and pages talking about, like, knots and tarring the deck. I mean, it's important when you're hunting whales that your knots are good. Yep. Obviously, Delmise has Moby Dick inspiration because almost every entry that it has states that it's hunting whale lord. And there's a part of me that really loves the idea that their Moby Dick exists in the Pokemon universe and that Captain Ahab is hunting the shiny pink whale lord. I, I actually annoy, I, I'm annoyed we don't let whale lord isn't white like shiny whale lord. We should get like a shiny shiny. Yeah. Like a one in one hundred thousandth chance to get the, the white whale lord. Yeah, or we do um last or only other whale is Kyogre, who's like very nice purple. Whale Lord is definitely the vibe you're going for with Moby Dick. Yeah. They just need to change that. Or just like go straight in and have some old fisherman in the next game telling you the story about the great white whale lord. The great pink whale lord that went that uh, that uh the captain met his doom hunting. Yeah, I think that'd be a fun, fun uh, little Easter egg in the games. And let's move on to the next one. Don, do you want to talk about our favorite little shapeshifter? Oh, we going to Ditto. Yes. Everyone knows Ditto. Ditto's one of the OGs. Ditto's classic. Oh, it's classic. And I remember it used to, if I remember right, it used to be painfully hard to find in like one floor of the Cinnabar Mansion. And it would always turn into your starter because you didn't know any better. And then like it would just be a nightmare to catch the thing. I honestly never had issues finding it, but I, I never found, I found it in like random high grass outside of Fuchsia City. I, I'm pretty sure I, I used to find it outside Fuchsia City. Okay, I'm going to look this up now because I'm curious about myself. Well, while you look that up, I can give a brief thing. But ditto, obviously shapeshifter. Shapeshifters are all over the place in folklore. One of the more prominent ones is from Germanic folklore is doppelgangers. Again, kind of like with ghost ships and the Flying Dutchman were a bad omen to see something that looked exactly like you. 
I think of like, you know, your evil twin kind of character. Oh, yeah, you're right. I just never found one outside Fuchsia, I guess. I always found them in Fuchsia. But what are some other shapeshifters? I know you know you know a lot more about shapeshifters. So I, I was doing a bit of, and it's also for me, per se, it's one of my favorite sort of genres is like the copy thing. I'm The thing is the classic. There's an old Smosh video where they made like a the Ditto parody trailer for a movie that I think is hilarious. So there's in Irish folklore, we have a thing called the Fetch which is an older term than uh, doppelganger, and it's like a spectral copy of a living person, and it's considered an omen of that person's death. Classic folklore, omen of death. Yep, and then we got um, changelings are a recurring theme in a bunch of European cultures and a few others that tend to, they're typically like a fairy or fae creature replaces a human child. Yeah, they they kidnap the babies from the crib and replace it with changeling. There's some messed up stories around changelings. Sometimes it's an old fairy that wants to just live out his, his golden years being pampered by people. So he's like, I'm your kid. So I guess that one, I think, is a little more innocent. Because, like, I can sympathize with him. He's old. He just wants to hang out and, like, get I mean, fed. You say it's innocent. They also kidnapped a child. Yeah, well, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, so. You know, Ditto in the Detective Pikachu movie was pretty creepy. If you thought about it from, like, Ditto in the Pokemon world would be a huge, like, security risk. Oh, yeah. Except for that stupid, the stupid eyes. The stupid eyes. I mean, you wear a hood, I guess, or sunnies. Sunglasses like in Detective Pikachu. Exactly. And then there you go. You know, Ditto and Detective Pikachu is terrifying. Now that I think, I forgot about, I, I think I repressed that memory of that movie. And I think there, so there, there's also a few, like, the, I think there's something innate in people, of the fear of, like, being replaced or having those around you replace is very much like a very like visceral thing that goes probably way, way back to like, you know, ye olde caveman times. There's something just wrong. It's like very much sort of like the uncanny Valley with dolls and stuff. Something's just wrong about it. And there's like a couple different things. One is, uh, there's chronos syndrome, which is like fear that you'll be sort of physically replaced by other, uh, like subordinates, people below you. So we're in homage to the Greek God. And then the other one, I think is really interesting is uh Capgras syndrome has I think how you say it. And basically it's like a it's a syndrome where the sufferer believes that people around them have been replaced by identical copies. And that's um something I hope I never have to get because that seems awful. And Ditto's at the heart of it. Ditto's at the heart of it. But you brought up dolls, so that brings us to what I consider one of the spookiest Pokemon. Oh, it's ter- Yes. You have to be talking about Binette, of course. And it's terrifying. Absolutely. So just for, for clarity's sake, the Dex entry for Binette states that it is a doll that became a Pokemon over its grudge for being junked. It seeks the child that disowned it. And most of the ghost ones are creepy. But this one to me is particularly because it's just like reeks of vengeance. It is a hate-filled Pokemon. It is. All of the Pokedex entries are awful. My question is, what does it do if it finds the kid? Bad things. Do you know how Phantoms are made? Isn't it a, like a, a dead kid? Dead kid in the forest. I'm assuming the Banana just normally finds them in the forest. And then you get a Phantom. And then it's an endless cycle. Yep. And then like you get the question too, like if someone were to catch a Banette, does that Banette obey the owner or is it manipulating the owner? to get to the child that abandoned it. Oh, do you know what's extra, which actually may go into that, the Ultra Sun entry for Megabinet specifically says, extraordinary energy amplifies its cursing power to such an extent that it can't help but curse its own trainer. Why would anyone capture this Pokemon? You gotta catch them all, bro. (laughs) Even if it curses you. 
especially if it curses you. <laughs> well, my when I was reading all these entries, the first thing that popped into my head is that Jesse from Toy Story 2 would 100% be a Bennett. Oh my god. So would the creepy bear from Toy Story 3. Yeah, oh, Lotso? Yes. Oh, Toy Story is just chock full of Bennett. Lotso curses, more like it. Strawberry-scented curses. But dolls as a whole have been around multiple cultures, multiple generations, and they have often been tied to the supernatural. Dolls or effigies and religious practices have popped up in lots of places. There are multiple implications. It could be inflicting pain on someone or transferring pain to the doll to heal an affliction. I think there's an entry for Bennett that states that it like sticks itself with a needle. Oh, there's a bunch of ones like that. Bennett generates energy for laying strong curses by sticking pens in its body. Do you know the stories of Robert and Annabelle? So Robert, I remember because I actually had a book of spooky Florida stuff. Yeah, Robert's from Key West. Of course he is. Where else would he be from? What do you know about Robert the doll? I remember someone got Robert and then like he would smash up the house when they were gone or something like that. And the kid was freaked out. Yeah. Well, so yeah, basically the kid, Eugene Robert Otto, got the doll, named it Robert. And there's lots of different stories. Like you said, the doll would just move, smash up the house. Uh, The kid would wake up in the middle of the night and the doll would be at the foot of the bed staring at him. Uh, Like the mother would wake up to her son screaming and she would run into the run into the room and all the furniture would be turned over and Robert would be sitting in the middle of the floor. Getting spooked right now just hearing about it. Just like, you know, real spooky doll. And the sto- as the story goes, Eugene, the kid, eventually grew old, died. Someone else moved into the house and their daughter found Robert in the attic and all the stuff started, like, same kind of stuff happening, same kind of spooky stuff. You can still see Robert the doll. He's in a museum. He does not look that intimidating and and also you kind of get to uh the other doll i mentioned which is annabelle which is a little more on the the you know uh, a little more out there because of the conjuring movies but did you know that annabelle is not like the doll in those movies at all is she not she's a raggedy ant doll that i think is almost worse it's the but it's the least scary looking doll at least, you know, you argue that they're probably the most flammable doll, and that makes me feel safer. <laughs> but the as, as the story goes for Annabelle, it's two roommates, uh, I believe who are nurses, were given the doll, and they started noticing, like, you know, the doll moving and, you know, crossing legs. That's the opening going. sequence of The Conjuring. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely draw on that. And the women hired a medium. Uh, the medium tells them that there's a spirit of a little girl in the doll, and they like li- try to live amicably with it for a while, and then it just goes to a bad place. And then the Warrens came in and put Annabelle in the museum, and she's done. <laughs> but those are the the kind of modern uh, supernatural stories that come from dolls. There's a tie with dolls with kind of supernatural and spookiness, and I think it's because dolls are kind of creepy, like. Uh, on the whole, like I know that lots of people love them. I think dolls are, can be a little creepy. Do you know about the? Uh, it's like Isla de Muñecas. Yes. The Isle of the Dolls. Yeah, I think so. It's the most horrific pictures I've ever seen in my life. I don't know much about it, but I'm pretty sure I've seen pictures. I'm pretty sure they did it. There was a show back when I was in college called The River, and I'm pretty sure that they oh, did. Oh yeah, it. yes, I remember that show. Yeah. But you brought up earlier the the Uncanny Valley. Yes. Would you like to explain the Uncanny Valley if our listeners aren't familiar? Yeah, so the Uncanny Valley is basically the sort of feeling you feel when you look at 
something that's like almost human but not quite like when you look at like the like the AIs that they're showing off and how close they are to being people but something in that little in the back of your head just tells you that it's wrong mm-hmm. like maybe the eyes don't track right or maybe the face doesn't move right they don't, it's this weird zone where things that get the closer they get to being people almost the creepier it is since it's still not quite there it, it, it gives you like this sense of unease yes which does for me the scariest part of that is what part is is there a reason why like way back in people's evolutionary history where things that are almost people but not makes you so uneasy or is it just an inherent thing was there some spooky ditto back in the day i don't know Maybe Pokemon is just the historical dittos getting its comeuppance. Maybe. Well, at least his HP stat is bad. No, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you you see it a lot with like CGI in movies where things look like so good, but like the eyes are wrong. Yeah. Oh, shout out to Polar Express. There you go. The deadest eyes. It just doesn't look right. And like all that stuff's gotten a lot better, but that's the, that's, that's the, the feeling behind why things that look so close to human but aren't just kind of make you feel uneasy yeah it's yeah a little creeped out mannequins at nighttime are always bad oh no no thank you all right well let's uh i guess that's that's all the mons i got you want to move on to the closing yeah let's wrap her up All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us at the the start of Spooky Time. We don't want to scare you too much, but I hope you got like a little bit to kind of pique your interest and maybe continue Spooky Season. And who knows, maybe go build a monotype team of all ghost Pokemon to use during Series 6. I brought a monotype ghost team to a premiere challenge last year. It was a mistake. When you're a monotype and no one else is. It was on Halloween. So, like, I felt like I had to do it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it was also, like, Incineroar was, like, a thing. My Incineroar counter was a choice band Golurk. I can see that not quite working out for you. It was bad. But have some fun. I think Lucas might be doing another spooky follow-up for his next Lucas lecture. I could be wrong about that. But I hope everyone has a safe holiday season we've got more episodes coming for you i think we're, we've got some exciting topics uh, especially with crown tundra coming out so be sure to follow us on social media twitter facebook share the show leave a review it helps others find it we really appreciate it we appreciate you listening thank you all and we hope to see you next time yeah thank you guys for coming out hopefully get real spooky enjoy your halloween in october bye